0: and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au.
1: Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode.
0: Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, Rob. How are you doing?
1: I'm fabulous. How are you? Uh,
0: A little bit stressed about our COVID situation here in Melbourne, but other than that, rocking and rolling, mate.
1: We're not, we're not going to go back to any of that issues. Let's not moz it. Let's not do this. Everything's going to be okay.
0: Everything's going to be okay. We're in the best city in the world. Yes. We're not in Palestine, but we're close. Yes. And we're going to have a little bit of a taste of Palestine with our very favourite Palestinian woman in Australia, uh, Dr. Samah Sabawi. Good morning.
2: Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm also really freaking out about COVID. But then again, what's new, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was going to be okay. We'll remind our listeners exactly about you, Samah, because they all do know you, but it's you've got such a wonderful CV and I think it's important to talk it through. Dr. Samah Sabawi is a Palestinian playwright, scholar, commentator and poet. Her plays include Cries from the Land in 2003, Three Wishes, Tales of a City by the Sea and Them in 2019. Samah has received two Drama Victoria Awards, a Green Room Award and a place in the VCE drama curriculum. For the latter two plays. Since 2014, Tales of the City by the Sea has been staged over a hundred times in theaters and schools around the world. Now, today we're going to speak about your most recent play. It's a couple of years old, them, and it's going on a huge tour, Summer. So tell us a little bit about them, and then we're going to tell our listeners where they can see it. So make sure you've got your pen and paper ready listeners and the Links will be in the podcast as well, so you can catch that later on. Tell us about Them, sama
2: Yeah, so Them is a play that I wrote. I started writing in 2015, uh, and it was born out of the absolute necessity to try to explore themes of refuge and exile at a time when refugees and uh, asylum seekers were being uh, demonised uh, in, in so many countries around the world. Uh, It so happened that I was in Finland at the time um, when uh, the Syrian refugee crisis broke out and um, millions of refugees from Syria started to um, make their way into European countries. Uh, And where I was in Finland, uh, there was a rising rhetoric against what they called the flood of refugees. And people took to the streets on the Finnish National Day um, to protest uh, the, uh, the coming of the uh, asylum seekers and, and the refugees who they demonized in so many ways and, and called all kinds of vile names. And I was um, told on that day that I wasn't, um, it wasn't safe for me to leave my hotel room. And it was really daunting for me to be told that uh, I was on the other end of the world, <laughs> in Finland, in a, in, a, in a new country or a, a different country from where I, I was used to being. And yet the, the anti-refugee uh, rhetoric was the same as what, what I was hearing in Australia as well. And it occurred to me that the whole world uh, was turning its back uh, on the people who needed help the most. Um, and so I sat in my hotel room and, you know, what do you do? You're stuck in a hotel room all day. You write a play. So I started I started imagining what 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 is life like for refugees before they become refugees? What is it that compels anyone to leave their home? I think people um, who have lived lives of privilege cannot even fathom how difficult it is for anyone to leave their home and to seek uh, shelter um, and asylum somewhere else. Uh, It is not a decision that is taken lightly and, and and so I started thinking about what is it like in those final few days before somebody needs to make that decision whether to leave or to stay in a war zone. And that's, that's how my play was, so that was the impetus of, of the writing of my play then. And of course it's named them because of the us and them rhetoric that was, and still is quite prevalent in the world today.
0: What makes it so easy to other somebody when it's them and not us.
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: So, so when, when you were in Finland, was that around the time that Alan Kurdi, the, the Syrian boy, the three-year-old boy washed up on the shore and for a moment, Europeans, white people cared because a three-year-old in the red T-shirt, I'm sure our listeners will remember that haunting image. Was that around that time? It,
2: I was. It wasn't around the, same, the exact same time, uh, the, the image I saw when I was here in Australia um, and I remember thinking that you know they, the, the only reason that this this child moved the world is that um, he was found uh, on a beach, which is familiar to them, in a resort, which is familiar to their understanding of the world, and without a, a mother who wears a hijab or a brown-skinned father holding on to him, that child was alone. So he could have been anyone's child, mm-hmm. um, and it, it was a sad um, re- you know, realization. Uh, for me to make and I'm sure for many people to make uh, as to how, you know, how is it that we find some people grievable and others not so grievable.
0: The synopsis on the website says, Them tells the story of one young family as they face the decision whether to flee their war-torn city. Omar, Leila and the young child are counting down the days. Their friends enjoy fantasies of escape and the arrival of Amr's sister brings a real chance to get out. But at what cost? If listeners go to thembysamahsabawi.com, themby s a m a h s a b a w i s-a-b-a-w-i.com com, samahsabawi.com, the link will be in the podcast. If you go there, you can find out where this is showing, and it's showing at the Arts Centre in Melbourne, Riverlinks in Shepherdon, Bunjil Place in Narry Warren, the capital in Bendigo. Kasula Powerhouse in New South Wales. So there's going to be great opportunities to see this, listener. So make sure you go onto the website, book your tickets. I understand some. you were telling us before we came on air that we're selling out really quickly at the Arts Centre.
2: Yes, we are. And it, it's it's wonderful to see that. It's wonderful to see that there is a hunger for this kind of work because I, you know, I, it's been a journey with with this play as, as every play is a journey, I'm sure. But um, because I write about... Um, the view from the margins and about marginalized voices. Uh, I am constantly told by big theater that um, it's just not commercial enough or it it may not sell or it doesn't have an audience. And so I'm really happy to prove them wrong uh, again and again uh, and to show that there is a hunger for works that that focus on social justice issues and focus on human rights issues Um, and, you know, not to mention have a lot of brown people on stage. <laughs> it's, it's nice to shake things up a little bit.
1: So I was going to ask, Is when you say that, I know that with you had uh, the Tales of the Sea or the city, you had massive pushback. Are you having the same sort of pushback with this or is this one a little bit more welcomed than the last one because it was due to Palestine and Israel?
2: Um, with Tales of the City by the Sea, the pushback did not come... Uh, I, I, I I went straight to La Mama with Tales of a City by the Sea and La Mama is a beautiful, um, beautiful, magnificent, magnificent theatre that is brave in the works that they present. Um, And they do fantastic, uh, a fantastic job of giving platforms to new writers um, and to embracing causes that the big theatres might find a little bit scary. And so with Tales of a City by the Sea, I went straight to La Mama, and they embraced it with so much love, and and they they were amazing. They they were just amazing in every way possible. The pushback came from the Israeli lobby when the play was put on the Victorian Curriculum of Education. Uh, And for them, you know, that put it on their radar, that the fact that a play about, that is set in Gaza, Tales of a City by the Sea, is completely, almost entirely set in Gaza against the backdrop of Gaza's bombardment in 2008 and 2009. Uh, And the main themes that it explores is love under siege and under the bombs and the impact of uh, Israel's um, siege and and bombardment campaigns of Gaza on the lives of ordinary people. I focus totally on the lives of ordinary people as I do in my new play. Because I think that uh, humanity and and stories of of families and loved ones they get lost in the politics it's easy to demonize a people when you are presenting them in numbers and not Mm. stories and so um when the play was uh, put on the victoria curriculum of education the the israeli uh, lobby groups lost it
1: (laughs) They, they weren't pleased
2: they weren't pleased and they yeah. went to town, they pressured, they tried to pressure the government uh, into pressuring the, the, which is kind of funny because they thought that we lived in a dictatorship where you can make a call to the, the Ministry of Education or to the Prime Minister and say, you know, this book needs to be removed and then that happens like magic and, you know, some security guards come in the middle of the night and take the book off the shelf I don't know, burn them, have a ceremony of burning them and punish everyone who's read them. Of course, I'm exaggerating, but yeah, I think I think the, the most beautiful thing about that story of how it, it worked out in the end was that for the first time in my life as a Palestinian writer, I did not need to defend myself. Mm. I literally just sat back and I watched these incredible writers and um, intellect intellectuals and um, people from uh, from the theater world uh, who stood up and defended the work and defended yeah. the right of the work to remain on the VCE curriculum. And I felt that there was so much, that that change has, has finally happened.
1: I remember you also you had that play done um, in Gaza and Australia at the same time too, didn't you?
2: I did. I tried. <laughs> I, I did try. It didn't happen because, um, you know, life resembl- resembles art and art resembles life. And in our case, um, I was writing a play about Gaza being bombed. And just before we entered into rehearsals, we were supposed to open tales in, in Gaza, in the West Bank, and in, um, in Melbourne at the same time. Um, Gaza was bombed uh, before oh, yeah. we the show. And uh, our product uh, production manager there lost family. Um, oh. There was a lot of losses, too many to count, people yeah were broken and um, it just was not appropriate to put on a show about the bombing of Gaza just after the bombing of Gaza.
1: When was actually there. happening? Just, just on, just going back to the your your latest play, then is it the same style?
2: It's completely different. So, okay. Tales of the City by the Sea was born out of poetry, so it has a lot of poetic. Um, you know, it, it was very lyrical in, in in the way it was presented.
1: It was very intimate to the setting which i thought was fantastic it just couldn't help but move you
2: yeah it, it had that different feel then is is actually a lot funnier uh, and it's done a little bit differently so it's it's uh conversation based it's dialogue based there are no long monologues like i had in tales of a city by the sea um and it's it's uh it's just uh, it's really different uh, it's a very different style and the new play that i'm writing if i can mention that i'm i'm actually writing a new play re- right now uh which will, which will have its first reading at la mama at the end of this year um that's also different so i try to not stick to the same style just experiment with different forms of um, of presenting nice. in hope of reaching uh, as many people as possible and really curing society of apathy when it comes to um, issues that that we should all be we should all care about.
1: Well, i can change the world. We should before we move
0: on to actually talk to how counterproductive. Benoît de Devira Bremovich accusing you of anti-Semitism and how beautiful it was that so many people rose to your defence, whether they were the theatre managers or teachers or writers, journalists, it was wonderful to see, you know, as a, not, as a fellow Palestinian, people rising to your defence. Yeah. But in that very heavy-handed authoritarian manner, the expectation that, you know, a decree has been sent forth, uh, release the hounds, close the gates, pull this play, it actually was counter. You ended up having to extend the season. It was sold out. The kids loved it. It really, really was a situation where they really hurt themselves in uh, endeavouring to... Yeah,
2: they, they did. And I mean, one of the things that they tried to do was to say that we need to change the community standards when it comes to the plays that get put on the curriculum. That got a lot of writers very upset because it reeked of censorship. They they overreached, for sure. Despite the fact that, that the... there was a happy ending to this. Um, And despite the fact that life went on and the play has had a very long life since then, and continues, we just had a reading in India um, about a month ago, uh, which was beautifully done, a rehearsed reading in India. Um, Despite all of that, the hurt that uh, the actions of Dvir caused and and continue to cause for me at a personal level, to know Mm. that um, somewhere on the internet, um, he has made these accusations that I have written an anti Semitic play that depicts Jewish characters or Israeli characters as bloodthirsty with, and uses, uses anti Semitic tropes. The fact that it's still out there, um, it, it's a wound. I mean, I did get wounded. <laughs> I'm not down, but it hurts. And, and that kind of behavior needs to stop because it's damaging. Uh, it is unfair. And they hope that if they do it enough, that it would intimidate people into silence.
0: Well, what they don't realize, Samah, is the power within you, the power within all Palestinians and our best revenge. Our best revenge is massive success.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, this interview that I just named, that was on ABC. That was on the John Fane show. And the ABC never gave me an opportunity to, you know, and I didn't want an opportunity to defend myself. I wanted that interview gone. Um, and I wanted it pulled off because it's it's inaccurate. And I don't even have one Jewish character in the play, let alone really? to peck you know, not one Israeli is in
0: the play. So sometimes <laughs> it's not just not about Israel. Sometimes it's just about us. And, you know, they just yeah. don't want to be, don't want to let it to be about us. One of the realities though, and I'm, I'm sure you'll agree is increasingly mainstream media's desire to not platform us, to deplatform us, mm-hmm is being countered by the fact that we've got so many other places to speak to. And, and that's the rise of citizen journalism, but also everything from, you know, soft advocacy, if you want to call it that mm-hmm. in, in the work that you do, but the very real reality is the situation as is occurring in Palestine, as we speak, uh, you know, we've had a ceasefire on the massacre in Gaza last month, mm-hmm. but there has been no cease violence or cease occupation. No. And in fact, Things have turned from bad to worse for Palestinians living not only under the oppression of Zionism and the State of Israel, but also under the complicit subcontractor of that occupation now, the Palestinian Authority, with the the murder of Nizar Benet a couple of weeks ago. And then most recently, the, the tragic death of Suha Jarad, the daughter of Khalid Jarad, who's a, a Palestinian Legislative Council member who's been incarcerated and asked to leave jail. She's due to get out in a couple of months, asked to... Uh, for a day pass, if you will, to attend her daughter's funeral, a daughter only in her early 30s. The Israelis, of course, do what apartheid countries do and denied her that. Uh, and interestingly, I, I saw today that, in fact, in 1969, on the 13th of July, so a day after so had passed away, that Nelson Mandela's own son died, Kembekev, uh, and Nelson Mandela wasn't allowed to attend his son's funeral. And so when they talk about the parallels between Palestine and uh, South Africa and Israel, and the uh, the apartheid analogy isn't correct, well here's an instance where it absolutely is correct. And when they talk about the parallels not being the same, they're right; they aren't the same. Israel is worse in its apartheid than South Africa ever was. Want to give us a bit of commentary, Samar, on the situation in Palestine today? Yeah, look, I
2: mean, my 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 heart goes out to Khalida Jarar. Um, I think. Um, I, I don't even know what the right words to, to use here. I woke up this morning, and a few things were going wrong, <laughs> as they do sometimes in the morning. And I just stopped for a second, and I said, I'm not Khalid Tajarar. I'm not waking up with that incredible loss. Um, and she says that she's a mountain. <speaking in Spanish> um she can only inspire and hard as oppression gets, uh, the more we should be inspired by those who are able to stand up in the face of that oppression and to say, we are mountains, we can take it and we will not stop resisting until we get our full rights. There are many similarities, of course, with, with South Africa, um, because oppression has a blueprint and different countries um, will apply it in in whichever ways that suits their agenda the most. In the case of Israel, because it's an ethnocentric country, apartheid was the the most appropriate blueprint that they could use in order to suppress and contain uh, the besieged and occupied population that they view as excess humanity. These are people that they do not want to give rights to. Um, And so, you know, we, we just have to be strong in, in, in standing up for our rights against all forms of oppression because part of the blueprint to oppression includes uh, co-opting the leadership of the people who are oppressed. And that's exactly what's happened with us. Um, that's exactly what we're dealing with in, in Um and, and I believe that oppression is always, at, it comes at, at various levels. Nobody, there isn't just one um, oppressor in in any given system or regime. You're dealing with, um, whether it be oppression at home or oppression at schools or oppression that comes from corrupt leadership or an occupying military power, Uh, it still is oppression. And I think the Palestinians need to start to work together at confronting all forms of oppression that they face, including the oppression of our own leadership uh, that claims to speak in our name. Uh, but that have turned their backs on us a long time ago.
0: It's so sad that our people deserve so much better than the Vichy representation they're getting today.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, it is tricky. Uh, they, they come back to us with that whole speech about unity. We have to be united. But our choices should not be uh, united and oppressed uh, in order to do what? United for what? For what final... And are, they're not even delivering on the basics to earn our uh, being un- in unity with them. They are no longer, I mean, going back to the us and them rhetoric here, but how can they even th- think that they are part of the Palestinian people when they live in their ivory towers with their VIP passes and their salaries, and they have no idea how the rest of the Palestinian people live not only under their nose in occupied Palestine, but in the refugee camps in the surrounding region as well. They don't have a right to speak uh, in in the name of the Palestinian people. And it's about time that we do get united, uh, um, but united towards finding better and uh, and more, uh, you know, uh, you know, a uh, more worthy, more worthy representation than this. We deserve better than this. The sacrifices that the Palestinian people have made over the years, the sacrifice that Khalid Al is making mm. today, right now, is worth more than this.
1: So you know, an, an endless question. But if there's no representation, what what do they, what do they do now? What, is there someone there that can step up?
2: I think we need to stop thinking about who can step up and and really focus on we all need to step up it's uh, um leadership's emerge from organically from healthy movements um and we need to the first step i think for in you know when it comes to representation the first step is to actually get representation Uh, and then we can worry about who can lead once we have representation we have a, a once we have a mechanism for 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 true uh, elections, um, democratic elections worldwide that represent all the Palestinians. Because the Palestinian people are not just the one third who live under Israeli occupation. Um, there are Palestinians, uh, four million, four and a half million of them who live in refugee camps in neighboring countries, stateless, waiting since 1948 uh, to be heard, uh, to be represented. Who represents them? Who's representing them? Who's representing the Palestinian generations who grew up in exile? Uh, and who yearn to go and see what their homeland is and, and to reconnect with their roots. Who represents mm. them? Who speaks for them? Who speaks for the people who led the marches here? 15,000 people marched in Melbourne, 200,000 people marched in England. These are exiled Palestinians leading the, 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 the movement around the world for liberation. They're not waiting to say, to see who's gonna step up and represent very them. very good point. It happens automatically. But the first thing we need to do is to dismantle the Oslo paradigm that has really uh, stripped the Palestinians in, in the occupied in, in occupied Palestine, in, in Gaza and in the West Bank. It has stripped them of the dignity of facing their oppressors. Because now between them and their oppressors stands the PA
0: so tragic to think about where we were where we came from the reality of a settler colonialist enterprise it requires the vanquishing of the uh, indigenous people and they got close one has to say you know in the 50s and 60s they were close but then we had such revolutionaries you know, Kanafani, and so many others and certainly you know for the and and yes. in its early stages you know Thawra Hatta al Nasr, you know, revolution until victory. And somehow we got conned into this whirlpool of destruction, deceit that ultimately has given us this, you know, parasitic PA that has absconded its responsibility yeah. to the people it's, it's supposed to represent. So I, I think you're right. A complete and utter revocation of any of that, of the lies and the deceit that was part of the Oslo paradigm and a reconstitution of a revolutionary narrative. Where are people under occupation. We should be resisting that in every sense, not cooperating. Samah, we both follow the Kurd twins, Muhammad and Munna on Twitter. They're still under, very much under siege, if you will, under attack there in Sheikh Jarrah. In Silwan, we saw some uh, video uh, during the week of a young girl who watched her house get demolished and now she's sleeping in her father's car. Uh, in Gaza, each day the Israelis are determining the daily calorific intake required, not to cause starvation. Things are pretty dire for the Palestinians. Yet, during the last massacre, we saw a a real lifting of Palestinians all over the world. Forty eight, sixty seven, the you know the refugees in Lebanon, Syria, Jordan. We came together as one. Do you see some hope in that?
2: Absolutely, I I see a lot of hope. I think the world. I think we're we're we are in a place that's better than any other time in, in, in terms of resistance and unity and connections. I felt connected to people all over the world, to Palestinians all over the world. And I saw Palestine uh, in these young, uh, the, the generation of young activists who, some of them have never been to Palestine, uh, but yet they embodied everything that's beautiful about Palestine and the cause and the resistance. Um, and they, they Responded to, uh, to, uh, to the twins, uh, to, to Muna in Jerusalem, they responded to the calls to Free Sheikh Jarrah. There was unity and there is unity and we are united. And I think what the Palestinian Authority has done is, is try to take a stab at this unity because it, it endangers its very existence. Their backs to the wall, they're in a corner. Uh, and they're fighting for their existence right now. The Palestinian Authority is fighting for legitimacy and for relevance. Um, and to see that, um, that the Palestinian people have moved on uh, when they haven't, and they're still there, a big obstacle in the way. Uh, you know, that's that's why they went hard on Nizar Banat. They wanted to make um, an example of him. Uh, they went there and they've gone hard on others as well. Uh, we read a tweet by, um, by Shaza uh, Zafi um, recently who um, was rounded up with a group of uh, Palestinians, doctors, lawyers. She's an architect uh, and was taken to uh, the, the, the security headquarters where she was made to watch uh, the torture of uh, the Palestinian men who were with them at the mm-hmm. protest. So the PA is fighting for for its existence right now. Um, And I think we are very united and they know that and it threatens them as much as it threatens Israel. Uh, And we're coming for them. We're coming for them and we will dismantle all uh, the uh, the systems of oppression that face us. We will.
0: What a brilliant way to finish. Now, listeners, don't forget to go to thembysebaawi.com. Them by... dot com Then by Samah com If you go to the 3CR web page and look at Palestine Remembered where the podcasts are, that link will be there as well. I hope to see you. We'll be at opening night. Um, Rob's going to attend a couple of shows, I think. We're, we're, what was the cinema that was near you, the theatre near you, Rob?
1: Bunjil Place. Yeah. So I'll definitely be there.
2: You know, that's the Sabawi, that's a Sabawi stronghold. It's a so, Sabawi so, stronghold. <laughs> a lot of people who look like me.
1: <laughs> it is indeed, yes. yes.
2: <laughs> I think so <that> too.
1: <laughs> Big numbers out here. I think you've basically run the council. <laughs> it's brilliant.
0: <laughs> Hardly a better way to finish the show, but we should also, I forgot to mention earlier on, congratulations for everything you've done, Samak. So, congratulations on your PhD It's great that you're getting um, the attention you deserve, that your art is getting the attention it deserves, that Palestine is getting the space that it deserves, uh, and you're a credit to yourself, to your people and to your family. Thank you so very much.
2: Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks.
0: Thanks, listeners. Be sure to tune in next week, and remember there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.